0: This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Mr. Chairman,
1: and to the Credentials Committee, my name is Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer, and I live at 626 East Lafayette Street, Roseville, Mississippi, Sunflower County, the home of Senator James O. Eastland, and Senator Stenner. It was the 31st of August in 1962 that 18 of us traveled 26 miles to the county courthouse in Indianola to try to register to become first-class citizens. We was met in Indianola by policemen, highway patrolmen, and they only allowed two of us in to take the literacy test at the time. All of this is on account of we want to register to become first-class citizens. And if the Freedom Democratic Party is not seated now, I question America. Is this America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, where we have to sleep with our telephones off of the hook because our lives be threatened daily, because we want to live as decent human beings in America. Thank
2: you. This is a hard lesson for some of us, that the choice as to whether or not we will rid the country of racism is a choice that white America has to make. What are you willing to do after you hear about our pain and our trauma And then do the work within yourself to combat white supremacy and white privilege in your circles of awareness and influence. It's not enough to simply not be racist. You have to actively seek to be anti-racist. And when we hear allyship, if I were to speak to my white sisters and my white brothers, but they always seem to have an issue when we say share the wealth. So I need them to be intentional in writing the checks. And to my progressive folks and my snow folks and those that say that I am a leftist, I need you to be intentional in adding a few zeros to the left of the decimal point.
0: Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. America's chickens coming home. Our common ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power.
3: I think America must see that riots do not develop out of thin air. Certain conditions continue to exist in our society, which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots.
0: This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time.
3: Much America strays away from the ideals of justice. The goal of America is freedom. Used and scorned, though we may be. Our destiny is tied up in the destiny of America. Before the Pilgrim Fathers landed at Plymouth, we were here. Before Jefferson etched across the pages of history the majestic words of the Declaration of Independence, we were here. Before the beautiful words of the Star-Spangled Banner were written, we were here. For more than two centuries, our forebears labored here without wages. They made cotton kings. They built the homes of their masters in the midst of the most humiliating and oppressive conditions. Yet out of a bottomless vitality, they continued to grow and develop. I say that if the inexpressible cruelties of slavery couldn't stop us, the opposition that we now face, including the so-called white backlash, will surely fail. We're going to win our freedom. I boast the sacred heart of my nation and the eternal will of the almighty God are embodied in our echoing demand.
1: America's chickens
4: are coming home to Russia.
0: And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham.
2: And thank you so very much for being with us here tonight at Our Common Ground as we launch the 2022 season of Our Common Ground. So good to hear. Hope that you had a wonderful holiday season and that you are looking forward and looking up As we move into 2022, we are certainly doing that. We need to take a break before we begin because we are having um, some technical difficulties and I am trying to fix them and also talk to you. Um, And that's not a good thing. It's... uh, I've been away uh for so long that I think I screwed up uh how we do this thing and um I need to fix it because I'm not seeing much of anything on my board and I know that you are there and we are so pleased to have you as we come into this season there's lots of going on tonight At Our Common Ground, we are going to uh, take a look at the uh, President Biden's remarks on the first anniversary of the violent domestic terrorist attack on the Capitol in Washington, D.C. on January 6. On Friday, he did make comments that I think are particularly reflective for him that have been missing. So we're going to come back, and we will be right back.
3: The lie and lie, the love Are hanging on, we push and shove Possession is the motivation That is hanging up the goddamn nation Looks like we always end up in a row Just what it's for Nobody gives us a rhyme or reason Have one doubt They call it treason With chicken feathers All the wit
2: is the opening of our 2022 season is not going well but we're going to try it again
0: This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time.
1: I move my body just like this, I don't know why, but I feel like freedom. I a
6: song that take me back, and I let go with so much an armed insurrection. They weren't looking to uphold the will of the people. They were looking to deny the will of the people. They were looking to uphold They weren't looking to hold a free and fair election. They were looking to overturn one. They were looking to save, the cause American. They were looking to subvert the Constitution. This isn't about being bogged down in the past. It's about making sure the past isn't buried. The bill was lie over months. It wasn't based in the facts. He was just looking for an excuse, a pretext, cover for the truth. He's not just a former president, he's a defeated former president. The former president and his supporters have decided the only way for them to win is to suppress your vote and subvert our election. It's wrong. It's undemocratic. And frankly, it's un-American. Those who stormed this Capitol and those who instigated and incited and those who called on them to do so held a dagger at the throat of America and American democracy.
0: now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham.
2: And we do thank you for your patience tonight as we open up this uh, 2022 um, Our Common Ground uh, season. We had some difficulties and we had to fix them. We had more than one or two microphones going on and I couldn't really tell which microphone I was talking into so I had to fix that to make sure that you and I could talk tonight. This is where we transform truth to power and speak truth to ourselves. And uh, we thank you so very much for your patience and for being with us. And, and, And tonight, I really want to get into the issue, as our episode title implies. This is our final season, and our theme for this season will be Black Aspirations in a Dying Democracy. Tonight, we open the 2022 season which marks our final. I am grateful for this journey since 1985 and the many people, listeners and guests which have supported this broadcast and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's been a wonderfully fulfilling experience to have served the informational knowledge and cultural needs of our community, and having been one of the pioneers of this genre called Black Talk Radio. None have benefited more than me, and I am grateful. It has been more than enough in my life. It has been the way in which I have chosen to pay the rent in this universe. Most of us learn to be citizens by creating, joining, and participating in some form of a democratic organization. Some, but not most, like me, learned democratic organization in, at a very early age, I was in lots of clubs from first grade until forever. Lots of organizations, lots of organizing and participating in programs, activities that supported my community. We learned democratic participation in our church groups, Girl Scouts for some of us, professional and union organizations, Greek organizations, tenant and neighborhood associations. We also learn it by voting. But in recent decades, too many of us have fallen out of the practice of democracy. We have sometimes fail to acquire the habit of democracy in the first place. Black people over the last decades have abandoned the value and tradition that infuse democratic practice in our lives as a people. We don't recognize it or understand it. We stand alone and on our own opinions, positions, and posture without acquiring the consideration our influence of others and the consequences to our understanding of the places and spaces around us. For black people once, democracy had become a shared civic religion of a people who otherwise had little in common. Its rituals conferred legitimacy regardless of ideology. They could as readily be used to monopolize markets or advance the cause of navetism as to aid laborers or defend the rights of our people. Even the Ku Klux Klan and the NAACP, while so dissimilar, relied upon democracy, educational form. In a recent article in the Atlantic Magazine, Yanni Oppelbaum wrote, Americans aren't practicing democracy anymore. And he concluded as participation in civic life has dwindled, so has public faith in the country's system of government. So here we are. Divided in darkness, trying to understand police terrorism. A violent attack on the Capitol by an organized insurgency of white supremacists. Black people who are less likely to care, vote, vote, Join whatever process which we would serve, for under which we would serve, the collective good. In many ways, we have lost many legislative, and legal gains because those things have not figured into our priorities. We focus only, we seem to. Fo- I don't. I don't want to make general statements, sweeping general statements, but we seem to focus only and solely on what is good for us as individuals. We have lost a sense, a connection with community, and there are even those intellectual scholars and activists who would purport or posit that there is no such thing anymore as a black community, I disagree. Even with or without a black political infrastructure or a black cultural infrastructure, we have ignored the need for advocacy and demand for those that would strengthen the collective, serve those without a voice, serve those without resource. Unfortunate, and so many elements have been pushed aside, diluted or hidden, and here we are, the greatest victims of a dying democracy. So now we find ourselves having lost voting and protection from, uh, protection from voting and domestic terrorism. We are in a position where access and rights to vote, the only weapon we have had available is being not just re- eroded, but removed these tools that activate and maintain a democratic society are disappearing before our very eyes. And we are the targets, the victims, the first line as consequences. Democracy is dying because we have allowed it to languish and die. ...from the poison being fed it. It's not just capitalism, neoliberalism, Trump, the Republicans. It is us. And in this 2022 season, along with all of the other things that are going on in our collective lives, in our spaces and places our common ground will examine the dying body of democracy and what it means for us. And I look forward to spending this season concentrating once again on how we survive. And with that, we launch this season Uh, We came into the new year with a um, rise of COVID issues with the new variant called Omicron, and I hope that all of you out there are installing safety protocols in your lives. Many of us are aware we should be wearing a mask in public, and for those who are living with people who go to work, go to school, and have vulnerable members of your family or in in your household. We should be wearing masks inside. This particular strain seems to have a higher incident of transmissibility, and therefore we have to take all the precautions that are necessary. And there are people who are going around saying that most people who are being infected by this strain, this Omicron strain, that they're that the symptoms are very mild. Well, it's not mild for everyone. The mild cases are being reported because it's different from other strains of of this virus but there are people who are being hospitalized and terribly ill and people who are dying from this particular strain of COVID-19. So we're asking you to be considerate of others in your family and in your community, in your workplace. There are raging Debates going on across the nation, specifically, particularly in Chicago, where the teachers' union is demanding that the schools be closed until school facilities are safe for both uh, faculty, staff, and students. And the local government is pushing back and indicating that they think it is their opinion, it is their position that the schools are are safe for children it's happening in new york it's happening in a number of uh, major centers where black communities are located and I think that uh, one of the things that was a the cry i mean here we are the i am this is my 3rd january of um covid 19 covid 19 virus watch and i think that what we have to do is apply common sense and rely on the medical and um medical Resources that we have available. <laughs> Excuse me. You can tell I'm still with this clock. Uh And um, and and just apply a caring common sense. Um, you know, I think that it's hard for families, especially working families, to negotiate decisions around safety. Um, and to avoid infection. Um, and and I think that we have to be patient and tolerant and sometimes it's going to be hard decisions that we have to make. I hope all of you out there have made decisions to be vaccinated and um, get your second and booster, vaccinations, and um, have some common-sense, caring, and responsible thinking around how you manage this um, pandemic. We are still in a pandemic. Last year, I usually opened this broadcast, with uh, a notion, with with statistics about hospitalizations, deaths, and infection rates. And we, we will do that um, as we progress. But um, prayer, um, prayerfulness, for those of you who are praying people, tolerance and patience, and staying abreast about this particular pandemic and the decisions that you do have to make. Um, I am boosted. I was very concerned. I just returned from my holiday vacation with my family in Boston, and I was very concerned about getting on an airplane, coming back, uh and I am as a result in my eighth day i guess it's eight days it has been eight days it has been eight days my fifth day uh in quarantine uh I am not moving about um, until I feel you know that c d c says it's five days for quarantine and Somebody else says it's 10 days, and somebody else says it's 14 days. I don't need anything outside, so I will quarantine myself for at least a week after having uh, been on an airplane for three hours. So let me tell you, it's been interesting. 2022 has been interesting already, Um. As many of you know, we ended the season in November, and uh, I went to visit uh, my family and friends and uh, former colleagues in Boston. Uh, For those of you who are new, uh, I lived in Boston for over 50 years um, until... Two years ago, when I retired, professionally retired, and moved to Florida, what was I thinking? Somebody please explain to me. I mean, Florida is my childhood. This Palm Beach County is where I grew up. And so here I was, headed back to Florida, and it never occurred to me that the political climate would be so intolerable. Keep in mind that Rick Scott was not a senator. He had been a very bad criminal governor. I had never heard of Ron DeSantis. I was excited about a candidate by the name of Andrew Gillum. But I stayed in Boston because I was working on the on on a congressional Yana Presley's um congressional campaign and I was working on um a Rollins campaign for um Suffolk County DA and she is now going to be the US Attorney General for New England. So um I, I I didn't think, I I thought uh, Marco Rubio was just so inconsequential. He hadn't totally lost his mind. And there were some um, interesting people. Um, Lois Frankel, who I had worked with uh, on many political campaigns. I never worked on her campaign. But I knew her well, and she had been elected the U.S. representative um, in my in the district where I was moving. But it, it has become politically intolerant uh, for anybody who is not a Republican, and the people who have remained a Republican in the state of Florida, um, we don't even want to to consider, but. Anyway, I had a wonderful time with my family. Um I um went spent three days in New York City and I wasn't able to get to El Michelle to visit with her and I really regret that. But my daughter had everything planned to uh planned for, planned out for the three days That We were there. It was a a holiday gift to me uh, for me to be able to get to New York City while I was there. Uh, Many basketball games. I was back into the grandma basketball cycle um, per week with uh, my youngest grandson spent a lot of time with my oldest grandson and his girlfriend he is in his second year of college at um MIT and it was interesting to spend time with him in the halls that I spent so much time in as a graduate student spent um a lot of time with my granddaughter who gave me a tour of her workplace. And no, I didn't see any autopsies, but I saw lots of labs. Um, So it was a a wonderful trip and I'm so glad that I made it. I'm so glad that we were in New York right before the pandemic just surged um, and uh, had an opportunity to Uh, Go to spend some time at the Botanical Garden, uh, which was a kind of safe place uh, in the Bronx, and um, hit the Dior exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum of Art, Um, meet up uh, late night um, in a space where we could be do some distancing with our masks, with some colleagues. Um, So it was a wonderful trip, and I'm really glad that I took the time. Um, And um, I I just hope that you had as joyful a holiday as I had. I mean, we even did the Everybody's Got the Same Pajamas um, Christmas Day brunch thing. I didn't know how that was going to work, but I went along, and it was very enjoyable. And on New Year's Day, my daughter planned for family members to do vision boards, and we spent the entire day talking about visions of what we have for our life. Well, you know, this month, um, um, hmm, I'm going to be hitting 72. So my vision board my vision board was probably a lot more simple than everybody else's vision board. But if she's listening if any of them are listening I want to thank them for a wonderful wonderful holiday visit and <coughs> Excuse me. And um um, it will. It will be. A, it's a, a wonderful memory. Took lots of pictures. Ate lots of good food. My daughter has become a wonderful chef, uh, based on the work that she did when she worked for a Ninja Shark. I couldn't be more proud of her culinary skills and exhibits that that I saw. The. Uh, other thing that I do want to mention before we get into um, taking a look at the issues that are before us is that this week we lost Sydney Sir Sidney Potier, who was a Bahamian-American actor an African-American, a film director, and ambassador. In 1964, he was the first black person and first African-American to win the Academy Award for Best Actor. You know who he he is. You know his work in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, In the Heat of the Night, The Measure of a Man was one of his books that I keep on my bookstand, my bookshelf. Lilies of the Field, And it's really interesting that as he has been lauded this week, he died on on Friday. And uh, he was 94 years old and we're going to invite your calls he paved the way for black actors but one of the things that we cannot forget is that he made his real hit in the black community was his support of the Um, civil rights struggle in this country. And uh, he was ambassador to UNESCO from 2002 to 2007. And it was in 2009 that he retired giants that are lost. The other is particularly very personal. We lost on yesterday C. Lonnie Guineer. She was my friend, my sorrow. She was an American educator, a legal edu- educator a legal scholar and civil rights theorist. She was the Bennett Boskey Professor of Law at Harvard Law School and the first woman of color appointed to a tenured professorship there. She was 71 years old. And we cannot forget her work as a civil rights lawyer, as a women's rights lawyer, through the, her work at the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. She was a champion, and she died on yesterday at the age of 71 and we are i was particularly saddened by her death she and i shared two things in common i met her um we were we were two of 10 of the 1972 class of the Boston YWCA um, Black Achievers Awards class, it was it was the first um, time that I met her, and later on, some years later, she and I shared. Um, directorships on a board of the Jane Doe Foundation of Boston. You couldn't have known a more ge- gentle genius, um, insightful, and helpful person. And over the years, uh, we have maintained a relationship. She was Uh, She attended, the last time I saw her, she attended my retirement party. And this nation should always be grateful for her scholarship and her undaunting belief that race mattered. So two giants we lost this week, one on Thursday, Sir Sidney Plotiella, and on Friday, Professor Lonnie Guineer. I have the story that I always tell about Sidney Pottier. Um, I, when 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 I was in the eighth grade, one of our neighbors, who was the first first cousin of Sidney Pottier, he was also the chemistry teacher. At the black high school, Mr. Glenn Stubbs, and uh, Mr. Stubbs lived probably around four houses down from us. And he and his wife, after Sidney Poitier got this Academy Award, uh, had a had a a party for him, and my parents were invited. I was in eighth grade, and so some of the neighborhood kids, we decided that we would kind of like try to peek into the party. <laughs> and uh, we got caught, and we were all introduced to Sydney Partier, and um, that was just a really special thing. This week we are coming in uh, to another month where the United States Congress has not figured out how to restore the Voting Rights Act of 1963 with a Supreme Court that seems to be so biased and so partisan that I don't think it's going to be possible. But I do have some thoughts about it. And in the same way that, and if you caught our opening with the remarks by uh, President Biden on the first anniversary of the domestic um, terrorism attack on the Capitol, that somehow, or if you caught some of the remarks at the memorial today for Harry Reid in Las Vegas, one of the things that you heard is that you bribe and threaten people who don't move off the mark, especially when it's a um, when it's an important issue. And um, I think Harry Reid would be handling this a lot better than Chuck Schumer, but we'll keep our eye on it, but it is a reminder to you to the extent to which democracy no longer works in the United States of America. And that if we aren't vigilant, if we are not paying attention and attempting to do something as we as we close the 2021 season that was one of the things that i talked about that all of us can do something if it's nothing more than making a phone call or writing an email or tweeting a tw- twittering a tweet we can do something and there is no in, in, my, in my estimation, there is no possibility that we are not going to further the consequences of a dying democracy, especially for working people and poor people, if the Voting Rights Act is not restored and the states are, are, are not blocked. From redistricting by uh, re- eradicating black voters, placing blockades up to voter ac- voting access in the in these states, that somehow we have got to work. If you have uh, a Republican. Senator, member of Congress who is running for re election this year, and there is a Democratic candidate that you can support, you should be doing that. You should be doing that. And we're asking you to do it. We're asking you to understand that what happened in January of 2021 can happen at your city hall, at your public library, at your school uh, or education department uh, buildings if it is not punctured. The other disappointment that we have seen are the sentencing of those people who participated in the insurrection <coughs> which was an act of domestic terrorism that's exactly what it was so i think that one i think that one of the things that we have to begin to do is we have to begin to think about inside our raging that we have to come up with strategic solutions let me let me give you an idea I don't know of a nonprofit or an activist organization that's tracking the judges who are getting giving out sentencing in the cases where People have been charged and convicted of domestic terrorism at the Capitol building. But we need to know who those judges are. We need to know who appointed them and what kind of sentences, because some of these people are getting off by judges who agree with what they did. You cannot tell me that you have spent 20 15 to 20 years in prison for selling a half an ounce of marijuana, but only two weeks in prison for rioting in a federal building. Somehow that doesn't make any balance in in rationale. So we need to be doing that. The other is that we need to ensure that the members of Congress who who are part, who even even seem to have a part in helping organize fundraising for what happened on January sixth, two thousand twenty-one, that those people become your number one public enemy, because they are. Later on in this broadcast, we're going to be talking about a series that's coming up on TruthWorks Network, and Al Michelle Odom, who is a senior producer, is going to be joining us. But you know, sometimes we get a break, and I want to share with you what my break was this week. And I hope you appreciate what happened in the sentencing of those three men who were convicted of murdering Ahmad Aubrey.
0: You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham.
2: ...back
5: there over the defendants. I've also considered any lawful evidence which tends to show the motive of the defendants, their lack of remorse, their general moral character, and any predisposition to commit other crimes. Now, I think in this case, the record speaks for itself. And the defendant's own words, I think, guide this court with regard to sentencing went back through uh, my notes um, and other resources to pull some of the quotes that uh, we have in this case. I'll start with Greg McMichael. In my opinion, Greg McMichael, very early on in this, tried to establish a narrative. He made comments like, Ahmaud was trapped like a rat. Stop, or I'll blow your, and I won't repeat it again, head off. He effectively admitted that he wasn't sure what Ahmaud Arbery had done wrong. Quote, I don't think the guy has actually stolen anything out there, or if he did, it was early in the process. But he keeps going back over and over again into this damn house. Again, back to the narrative. He told Travis, you have no choice. He told another individual at the side or at the scene, this guy ain't no shuffler. This guy's an asshole. He commented that he wanted him, Ahmad Arbery, to know that we weren't playing. If I could have gotten a shot at the guy, I would have shot him. Travis McMichael claims he was in shock. But it's interesting because he talks about his concern for his child and his own well-being. Part of this was while the victim was actually laying there in the street. commented, this is the worst day of my life. Well, uh, I think it's been touched on here today. Uh, There were other individuals that were impacted. I look at the video of um, this incident. When I say the video, I think everybody knows what we're talking about, but there was one part of it that struck me as absolutely chilling, and that is I believe it's in the enhanced video provided by the GBI. There's a frame where I believe Ahmaud Arbery, it looks to be, if he's 20 yards out, that may be close, 30 yards out. It's the frame of Travis McMichael uh, lifting the shotgun to fire at Ahmaud Arbery. And you watch that with context. I want to say context after hearing the evidence in this case. Again, thinking about a young man that had been running at that point for almost five minutes. And it is, it is a chilling, truly disturbing scene. And we got there because Travis McMichael's father saw Ahmad Arbery hauling down the street and calls out, let's go. At that point, Travis McMichael, um, despite whatever may have been going on in his life at that time, with regard to family or otherwise, just goes, grabs a shotgun and goes because he assumes that it is the right thing to do. Maude Aubrey was then hunted down and shot. And he was killed because individuals here in this courtroom took the law into their own hands. Mr. Bryan, he joined in after calling out to the McMichaels. Y'all got him? Claimed he didn't know what was going on, but obviously wanted to know if this individual who was running through the neighborhood, who he didn't know, had been caught in some way. Said, quote, I figured he'd done something wrong, but I didn't know for sure. All right, that wasn't actually this uh, quote. Those quotes are two separate quotes. Didn't know for sure. I thought he would get away, and this is the part that is disturbing to me with Roddy Bryan. If the guy would have stopped, this would have never happened. All of these quotes give context, I think, to the video that we saw during the case. And Ms. Wanda Cooper-Jones this morning made a statement that I think when you look at these statements and you see the videos is very true. And that is, she said, when they could not scare or intimidate him, they killed him. There's been discussion about remorse. And I agree with counsel that it is is dangerous for defendants uh, who have multiple prosecutions against them to make statements of remorse. But remorse isn't something that is simply uh, a statement of regret. Remorse, I think can be determined by looking at somebody's reaction to difficult circumstances and the reality of the situation that they're in. Again, it doesn't require an apology and quite honestly, sometimes apologies are made simply to get past uh, problems. Remorse is something that's felt and demonstrated. In this case, getting back to the video again, after Amara Arbery fell, the McMichaels turned their backs. A, again a disturbing image and they walked away this was a killing it was callous and it occurred as far as the court is concerned based upon the evidence because confrontation was being solved I think the statement was made during closing arguments it's interesting to note that the most violent crime in Satilla Shores was the murder of Ahmad Arbery So sentencing does not generally provide closure. I think Ms. Wanda Cooper-Jones also talked about closure. Uh, But I, I I don't find that it really does, and I think that's an unfortunate thing. Because in this case, I think many people are seeking closure. The mother, the father, the community, and maybe even parts of the nation. But closure is hard to define and is a granular concept. It's seen differently by all depending on their perspective and the prism of your lives. Instead of closure, maybe we'd best see today's proceeding as an exercise in accountability. We are all accountable for our own actions. Sometimes in today's day and age, that statement is lost upon many. And today the defendants are being held accountable for their actions here in Superior Court. Today demonstrates that everybody is accountable to the rule of law. Taking the law into your own hands is a dangerous endeavor. I'm not sure how this comes across, I'll say it anyway. I think ultimately, with regard to the murder of Arbery, it all it holds us all accountable. I've read somewhere, and I don't remember where it was, that at a minimum, Ahmaud Arbery's death should force us us to consider expanding our definition of what a neighbor may be and how we treat them. I argue that maybe a neighbor is more than the people who just own property around your house. I I also believe that in assuming the worst in others, we show our worst character. Assuming the best in others is always the best course of action. And maybe those are the grand lessons from this case. I will let others spend as much time as they want writing about it and talking about it. But those are my general thoughts with regard to this case and sentencing. That said, with regard to the sentence in this case, as to Travis McMichael, Mr. McMichael, The court sentences you as follows. Count one, malice murder, life without the possibility of parole. Count two, felony murder, vacated by operation of law. Count three, felony murder, vacated by operation of law. Count four, felony murder, vacated by operation of law. Count five, felony murder, vacated by operation of law. Count six, aggravated assault, merges into count one. Count seven, aggravated assault. The court sentences the defendant to 20 years consecutive to count one. Count eight, false imprisonment, merges into count one. Count nine, attempted false imprisonment, five years concurrent to count seven. That is life plus 20. Greg McMichael, the court sentences you as follows. Count one, malice murder, and it was found not guilty count two felony murder life without the possibility of parole count three felony murder vacated I want to say vacated vacated by operation of law in all cases I just am not going to repeat it count four vacated count five vacated count six merges into count two count seven aggravated assault 20 years consecutive to count two count eight ten years concurrent to count seven. Count nine, five years concurrent to count seven. That is life plus 20 years. Roddy Bryan, I do want to separate a little bit because the state is making a different recommendation. And despite the back and forth that uh, Mr. Goff and I had during this case, I do want to point out a couple things that he raised that I think are appropriate to raise with regard to the sentence. As far as the remorse, um, I think Roddy Bryan stands in very different shoes. Um, It is obvious from the beginning uh, that he questioned the tragedy that had occurred at the scene. It was on, uh, I believe, I can't remember whose body cam, but the body cam, in fact, questioning whether or not what had occurred had occurred, and then took steps early on in this process, I think, that demonstrated that he had grave concerns that what had occurred should not have occurred. And I think that does make Mr. Bryan's situation a little bit different. However, Mr. Bryan has been convicted of felony murder. And I do not uh, believe it can be uh, disputed based on the facts of this case, that uh, the verdict uh, was an appropriate verdict based upon the evidence presented, at least. And when I say appropriate, what I mean is legal. because I believe there's been some discussion about some differences between Mr. Bryan and uh, and the McMichaels. Um, There may be some differences, but it does not change the fact that was it not for the fact that Mr. Bryan used his vehicle in a way to uh, impede Mr. Arbery's uh, course of travel. This may not have ever occurred, and that is sufficient for felony murder. He did cooperate with law enforcement. I will point out, uh, Mr. Goff, 17101B, there's actually a case out of Chatham County uh, that says it would not apply under the circumstances of this case. So the court recognizing that Mr. Bryan's position is different. uh, Again, Mr. Bryan was found not guilty on count one and count two. The court sentences Mr. Bryan to uh, life with the possibility of parole on count three. Count four is vacated. Count five is vacated. Count six, the defendant was found not guilty. Count seven merges into count three. The defendant is sentenced to 10 years consecutive to count three on count eight and five years concurrent with count eight. Both of those counts though will be suspended sentences, which gives Mr. Bryan a life with the possibility of parole sentence. Those are the sentences The court having pronounced sentence, first with regard to Travis McMichael. Mr. McMichael, you are hereby notified that under the law of Georgia, you are entitled to appeal the guilty verdict of the jury, and if you decide to do so, you must file your appeal within 30 days of this date. You are also informed that you have the right to retain a lawyer of your own choice to represent you on your post-trial motions and appeals to the appropriate appellate court of Georgia. If you cannot afford a lawyer, the court will appoint one for you. You are entitled to and will be given a transcript of all pretrial, trial, trial, and post-trial matters without cost to you if you cannot afford a transcript. You may file a motion for a new trial or you may appeal your case directly to the appropriate appellate court of Georgia for review. You are also advised that the statute of limitations for habeas corpus in this state is four years in the case of felonies and one year in the case of misdemeanors. The statute begins to run from the date the conviction becomes final. And just to be clear on the record, I'm going to go through the statement with regard to each defendant. So as to Gregory McMichael, you are hereby notified that under the law of Georgia, you are entitled to appeal the guilty verdict of the jury, and if you decide to do so, you must file your appeal within 30 days of this date. You are also informed that you have the right to retain a lawyer of your own choice to represent you on your post-trial motions and appeals to the appropriate... Appellate As we
7: continue to listen in here to Judge and Timothy Ford Walmsley lawyer. in that Georgia courtroom, we have learned this afternoon of the sentences of the three men in Ahmad Arbery's death. Uh, Travis McMichael, who shot Arbery, uh, life without the possibility of parole, life in prison uh, for the crime. His father, Gregory McMichael, given the same sentence, life without parole. Uh, their neighbor Roddy Bryan, uh, who used his vehicle, the truck, uh, was given life with the possibility of parole. And the judge, making it clear, uh, he believes that's because he is the only one uh, in the evidence in this trial who showed uh, any kind of concern afterward uh, for the crime. The judge, in speaking before that courtroom, acknowledged that he was likely speaking not only to that community but to communities across this country uh, with great interest in this case. He talked about Ahmad arbory uh, the young man who went for a run and ultimately ended up running for his life. The judge also told Americans who are watching that perhaps of our neighbors we should assume the best in them, uh, not the worst. That that perhaps is one of the greater lessons of this case. Pointed out that he talked about that piece of evidence with the McMichaels turning away from the crime after it was committed. He also talked about the five minutes uh, that it was estimated that Ahmad Arbery was running running away from that pickup truck and in a fairly dramatic fashion uh, showed the court what just one minute feels like the judge silent for one minute saying that represents just a fraction of the time that Ahmad Arbery was running from that vehicle Travis McMichael who shot Ahmad Arbery and killed him sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole his father given the same sentence life without parole the third man William Roddy Bryan the neighbor life in prison with the possibility of parole uh, in his 50s, that means he would be well into his 80s before any chance of getting out of prison. When I move my body just like this, I don't know why, but I feel like yeah. I
1: hear song that takes me back, and I let go with so much
8: freedom.
0: And now, back to Janice.
8: Okay.
2: time to present to you the way in which Judge Timothy Walmsley sentenced Travis McMichael, the man who shot Aubrey, and his father Gregory McMichael, who watched the shooting from the back of a pickup truck to life in prison without the possibility of parole because it was an important action that a judge in a courtroom in the United States of America, rare but great and wonderful, that three white men were held accountable for murdering, hunting down and murdering a black man. That was our break this week in America. I see that we have one person who wants to comment on some of these things, and we're going to take that call. Then we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking with uh, TruthWorks Network senior producer, L. Michelle Odom about an upcoming series, If America Fails, The Coming Tyranny. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Good evening and thank you for your call. Hello? Uh, This is Michelle. Oh, I'm sorry, Michelle. I'm going to put you back. Okay. Uh, okay, I didn't recognize your area code. So we're going to go for a break, and when we come back, we're going to uh, be talking with L. Michelle about if America fails the coming tyranny.
0: For our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time.
8: Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals. The United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers. But we need more.
1: Thousands of architects and engineers. But we need more. Thousands of
8: teachers and biologists. But we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us
3: apart, we had better educate every single person with the potential to solve our
8: problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College. Fund. With
1: so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. What is that?
3: Oh,
8: that? It's my time machine.
5: Does it work?
8: Sure. Just hit this button.
7: Whoa! Dinosaurs. Cool.
8: Or we can go here.
1: Hey, that's Napoleon. Or we can go to the future.
7: Wow. Hey, you have this nice house. Do I have a nice house?
2: No, you didn't save any money. Always spent it on vacations and stuff.
7: If only there was a way I could go back in time and correct that bad habit. Yep. Okay,
3: the time machine is not real. But the saving thing is. Get in the habit of putting some of your money in savings each week through a 401k, savings account, or financial investment. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ideas and easy tips on saving, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org.
7: What does this crazy little button do? Wait, no! This message is brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council.
0: Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now back to our common ground. Yeah. Our common ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time.
4: If I come for you, I will wear high heels so you can hear my approach on the cobblestones and have time to repent. Please listen for my footsteps.
0: And now back to Janice.
2: us here tonight at Our Common Ground, which is the opening episode of our 2022 season. This season we are focusing our attention on black aspiration in a dying democracy. And Our Common Ground Media, which is the media company that uh, produces both Our Common Ground and TruthWorks Network has um, developed a new broadcast series. Well, actually, it's a podcast. Um, if America Fails, The Coming Tyranny. It is using, a discussion series using the Handmaid's Tale, both the book and the Hulu TV series, which is a fictional story that explores the real potential of the US as a failed state. And we are happy to have us tonight, the senior producer of If America Fails, Elman
8: Hello, can you hear me? Hello, hello, uh, can you hear me? Hello. seems like um Bob Talk Radio is having a hard
2: time With me returning um, My guest Just got disconnected I got disconnected I'm running a board blind I don't know where I can't see where anything is And it happens But we persevere Here at Our Common Ground Um but one of the things I want to share with you is how important this discussion series is going to be. El Michelle, it seems like you're back in. Yeah. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Um, yeah. How are you? Sleepy. I, I want you to know I didn't disconnect, disconnect you. Something's going on at Blog Talk Radio, and I think one of the things that happens is on Saturday nights, after a certain hour, they decide to do technical cleanup and refreshing uh-huh. and all kinds of stuff, and I think that's what's happening with us tonight. Okay. Tell us about If America Fails. But but why don't I, why don't I run the promo that we have, Around the program, around the discussion series, and then we can okay. talk about it.
8: Okay.
2: Maybe this will work. You know, I'm I'm running blind here. I
8: can't see anything. Shut your mouth. Be a good girl. all over and spread your legs. Yes, ma'am. May the Lord open. Seriously. What the actual? F-
4: Now this chain of destruction begins with the phase we can call identification in which the group of people is identified as a cause for problems in society people start to perceive their fellow citizens as bad they're evil they used to be worthwhile people but now all of a sudden for some reason their lives are worthless the second link in the chain of destruction is ostracism by which we learn how to hate these people, how to take their jobs away, how to make it harder for them to survive. People lose their place to live. Often they're forced into ghettos where they're physically isolated, separate from the rest of society. The third link is confiscation. People lose their rights, civil liberties. The laws themselves change, so it's made easier for people to be stopped on the street, patted down, searched, and for their property to be confiscated. Now, once you start taking people's property away, you can start taking the people themselves away. And the fourth link is concentration. Concentrate them into facilities such as prisons, camps. People lose their rights. They can't vote anymore, have children anymore. Often their labor is exploited in a very systematic form. And the final link in the chain of destruction is annihilation. Now, this might be indirect by, say, withholding medical care or withholding food preventing further births, or it might be direct, where death is inflicted, where people are deliberately killed. These steps tend to happen of their own momentum, without anybody forcing them to happen. I think a lot of people would be disturbed and outraged by the thought that any part of this process could be going on in America, That I realized that some of these same steps were happening.
2: It happens with the eroding of the right to protest and freedom and with uneven distribution of consequences from law enforcement. It happens when people we think are on our side when it comes to social justice simply don't show up, or worse, shame us for taking action. It happens when we all look at each other and say, this can't last, right, hoping that it will go away on its own. Meantime, the fascists build militias. When fascism starts to feel normal, we're all in trouble. All the denial, either from fear or uncertainty, is not helpful. We are seeing the execution in America, not the plan.
8: America Fails, the coming
2: charity. A 12-week discussion series exploring the possibility, the potential, the now, fascism in America. Truth Works Network. Sneak Preview, October 14th, live, 8
0: p.m. The truth must be spoken more than once.
2: If America Fails, Truth Works Network. October 14th, 8 p.m. If America fails, the coming tyranny. You.
8: Shut your mouth.
2: Well, Michelle, I guess that wasn't the right clip. <laughs> um we did have a sneak preview which was very successful and what can our audience ex- expect coming January 13th with the episode uh, one um. uh, well actually what what we've done is uh, so the Handmaid's Tale the um, The TV, uh, the Hulu program, has run four seasons. And so we looked at at all of the episodes and uh, kind of identified the key themes, the recurring themes that come up in the show uh, and then built our uh, 12-week program around those themes. Uh, So our... Uh, series runs between January 13th, the next week, uh, and April 7th, uh, webcasting or live streaming on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, we have a great lineup of uh, scholars and uh, other uh, high-profile and just very bright people Uh, Starting on January 13th with Dr. David Icard, who's the professor and chair of African-American and Diaspora Studies at Vanderbilt uh, University, and uh, Professor Jared Yates Sexton, who's an associate professor of writing and linguistics at Georgia Southern University, Statesboro, but uh, more importantly to me, he's one of my favorite podcast hosts. Um, he uh, he he runs a podcast called The Muckrake. Um, so yeah, uh, it's just a
8: great lineup
2: of of, of guests. The following week, uh, Dr. Cynthia Ann Barron, who's uh, who teaches and writes about theater and film. And Reverend Dr. Susan K. Williams-Smith, who I know has been a a frequent guest on our common ground, uh, the founder and executive director of Crazy Faith Ministries, uh, and a scholar and writer herself. Uh, Mr. Frank Schaefer on January 27th, uh, artist, filmmaker, author of many, many books. Uh, most recently, uh, fall in love, have children, stay put, save the planet, be happy. So mm-hmm. <laughs> February 3rd, the, where the team is mental health, we have Dr. James McIntosh, a psychiatrist and um, very active community leader in New York City. February 10th. Uh, Dr. Ruth uh, Ben-Ghiat, who teaches Italian and history at New York University, Uh, but you may know of her on the speaker circuit these days because she's an expert in authoritarianism and fascism and has a recent book out uh, called Strong Men from Mussolini to the Present. And uh that night which uh she's going to be joined by Dr. Karen Ritsenhoff, who some of you may remember, joined us for the sneak peek in October. Um she is an expert in communication and has a lot of has published a lot of books, but we uh learned really about her because of her book, uh, On the Handmaid's Tale, uh, which has one awards.
8: So it goes on, you know, it goes on like that
2: um, through April 7th. So um, you're, the series will be examining the fix, fictional story that explores the real potential of the U.S. as a, as a failed state with subject matter experts looking at the events, characters, and capacity of the U.S. to fail and the conditions that would be in our... Yeah, and I just always like to point out, as, as Margaret Atwood, Margaret Atwood is the writer of the novel that all of this is based on, the 1985 novel. Um, and she, you know, she points out that she did not include any events in the story that have not occurred in human history somewhere at, at some point. Um, so the Hulu TV series, which started in 2017, season one pretty much followed the book rather closely. After that, it you know, it goes into some other things. Um, mm-hmm. so you know, so there's there's the question of not to me, it's not so much could these things happen in the United States? They have happened in the United States. Mm-hmm. could mm-hmm. they happen again? Are they happening now but before our very eyes?
8: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. so for those uh of our listeners tonight who Who have not read the book, who have not seen the series
8: mm-hmm. uh
2: one of the things is that the story is set of the novel and the t v series is set in a fictional place totalitarian society called Gilead in what used to be part of the United States and right. Gilead is ruled by a fundamentalist regime that treats people other than white men as property of the state and takes place following some environmental disaster that causes a plummeting birth rate. And the new regime forces the U.S. system of democracy into failure and plunges it into chaos and a civil war. Right. Um, uh, it, what we see in the novel and in the TV series is the areas where the Gilead Republic governs our previous American regions establish, establishing strict caste and penal systems. Yeah. And it is so important to look at the themes that is, that the themes that are raised within this fictional story about fascism, religion, and civil war, the status of women in a highly controlled authoritarian theocracy. And I am telling those of you who are listening tonight, if you are a fan of the book or TV series or and you are interested in those themes, you do not want to miss the panel of experts that will examine them, embellish them, and flesh out the potential of yes. where we are headed in this country. Absolutely. Michelle, mm-hmm.
8: um,
2: one of the things that you have done as part of building this series is you have put together a wonderful website which has a blog, a learning lab. It talks about um, the language that is part of this examination. Yeah. Um, And tell us about what your intent with, with this complimentary website and uh the website can be found at ifamericafails.live. dot live.
8: Uh I, yeah, well as you said it's it's got a blog
2: and so um that's just sort of uh well two things are happening with the blog. Uh one is we're sharing a lot of the um Uh, references related to our our panel of experts, so links to their books and things like that. Um, We're also sharing a lot of current uh, news articles and podcasts and uh, things like that um, around things that, that are either happening right now um, or help us think about what's happening right now, um, you know. And that, you know, I think that um, whether we're, we're we're watching this fictional TV show or whether we're watching what's happening in the world, I think we're not always clear about what we're seeing or how to make meaning of it. So, for instance, earlier you were playing the clip about the the uh, wonderful verdict in the Ahmad Arbery trial, um, you know, and, it, and it, it, it was the right decision. Um, but what does that really mean? Does that mean we're living in a post-racial society? Does that mean everything's okay? You know, what, what is the takeaway? From a single decision like that, so um, so the blog is just trying to kind of create uh, a single place where we can get an overview uh, of um, some of the, the things that that frankly are quite troubling uh, going on in the country today. Uh, there's areas on the blog where you can learn more about the Uh, the book or the TV series, The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, There are links to other kinds of resources, um, books and websites and things like that, uh, ways you can get involved in fighting fascism. Um, On the events tab, there's a lot of information about the guests, their biographies uh things like that. So And you can also learn a little bit more about uh Janice and myself. So yeah. okay. <laughs> um it, uh, you know, you, you talk about some of the critical questions that mm-hmm. both the book and I read the book at the time of its Publication many, many years mm-hmm. ago.
8: Mm-hmm.
2: And if I read the book today, one of the... I see so many of the elements right. that established the totalitarianism, the authoritarianism, and fascism, that you mm-hmm. see in the Republic of Gilead. Yeah. The
8: uh, the
2: the other thing that I think is is so interesting, and it kind of gives you chills, is to is to raise one of the th- questions that that we're going to be raising in this discussion series is is looking at the class distinctions that you see in this new society, including the levels that lead one into a certain status and the different levels in Gilead society.
8: Right. Uh,
2: In watching the TV series, it's really interesting to see the absence of black people. Mm Mm-hmm. And you know how my mind runs. Well, what do they do? It, 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 were black people in this takeover victims of mass genocide?
8: Right. What right. happened Weird. to
2: all the black people? But there are black characters in the story.
8: Mm-hmm.
2: And... One of the things that Atwood does not do,
8: mm-hmm.
2: but you see in the TV series, is even the class distinctions within classes
8: mm-hmm. of
2: the characters. Mm-hmm.
8: Mm-hmm.
2: And and people maybe may may get angry about this question, and. Here is the question that I have in having watched all four seasons of the Hulu presentation is how white women have been have been a, ha, created a a, a position of authority even though they are in a specific lower class than the white men mm-hmm. but postured themselves into having status within that society and yeah. and and then and I'm I'm really glad that and I'm looking forward to hearing what Frank Schaefer will have to say about this, and and Dr. Reverend Susan Smith in looking mm. at the ways in which religion, including relationships between the church and the state, provides a foundation right. for a society a totalism society and mm-hmm. I'm having a hard time. Uh, <laughs> Totalitarianism. To, mm-hmm. Yes. Total. Do it again. Totali, Totalitarian. Yeah. I know. I just. Um, I've been trying to get my head wrapped around Larry Nogino and for some reason I'm having a real problem. I'm glad I'm not studying a language right now. But um, the role that black churches
8: Mm -hmm.
2: are playing, (coughs) excuse me, I thought that I had, um commanded this coughing thing, but I guess I haven't. Um, but there there are just so many critical questions, you know, yeah. like um that comes up and you know, one of the critical questions that you raise uh on the website is what ways did rage play a role in the creation of the new society of Gilead? And when we mirror that to what happened to the domestic violence, terrorism that happened at the Capitol
8: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
2: uh, a year ago,
8: Mm -hmm.
2: how much of that is in reality part of our fear of what is possible.
8: Right,
2: right. And you know, as you were were saying earlier about this, there's something that all of us can do. Um, You know, this week, I, I imagine everybody knows this week is the anniversary of what happened last year. And Uh, So I've been kind of listening to a lot of podcasts and watching a lot of shows about it. And um, one thing stuck with me, and it it was Bill Moyers, um, who talked about how you have to love democracy, um, you know, in order to find the motivation to fight for it you know and and if you can't find that motivation then you know you 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 know there's a very real possibility that you will lose it because it it it, it needs our energy you know mm-hmm. um and so you know that's i don't imagine that we are going to save the world or save america from itself um with our our twelve week um program. But I definitely think that we can um assert our love for democracy. And I loved your introduction to tonight's program because I agree with it so much. You know, we we learn democracy or we don't, you know, uh at a very early age. Um, and so, to the extent that we infuse it into our children's lives, that's how they learn what democracy looks like and develop a love for it um so uh-huh. we've we've really done a poor job of that as a country in recent decades and 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 now we stand on at the precipice of actually uh-huh. losing you know I was listening to some um some brothers the other day on a podcast and they were kind of talking about all of all of this but their vantage point was well, you know, black folks have been have have never had democracy in this country. You know, and who can really argue with that? <laughs> so but for me the question is could things possibly be worse than they are right now? And I believe that they can be, and I believe that the handmaid's tale gives us a particular vision of what could be worse than what we have right now and mm-hmm. so the question is, do you wanna fight for the the little bit of freedom you know the little bit of democracy that you have, or do you wanna just let things get worse
8: Mhm, so mm-hmm.
2: you know as i As I stated earlier, there is a sense in my experience that some of what is denied through injustice- deni- a governmental denial some of that does dilute the level, but it does not extinguish the ideologies resources of mm-hmm. democracy mm-hmm. And to create larger, deeper portals of democracy.
8: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: When we look at what has happened When we look at what has happened In the last four four years When we look at the Trump administration Mm -hmm. There was a way There was a weapon Available to us That we are losing And that is the vote Right If we vote in people who have our interest, who Mm -hmm. have the courage and the Mm -hmm. confidence to ensure that our will and our interest be served, we wouldn't have the Supreme Court that we have. You know, and and, and you can't, you know, I always said, like, I I left law school, Mm-hmm. Because after many months, I couldn't figure out how having the skill to defend laws that were unlawful, that were mm-hmm. not in my interests, that were designed to box me in,
8: mm-hmm.
2: could be a part of my future. Right. So... One of the things that we have to recognize is that there were certain weapons, people in the Civil Rights Movement, people in the Black Power Movement, were struggling to have a weapon in which to fight the struggle.
8: Mm -hmm.
2: And we can't walk away and say, well, we don't have it, so we might as well. well so, what is the answer? Right. And I, I want to pose that to this audience tonight. Yeah. What is? What are the possibilities if we are not continuing in our struggle? I mean, uh, my hashtag is trust your struggle.
8: Mm-hmm.
2: Don't deny the struggle that we have to be in. And I think that part of the series will also get into some of that uh, looking at the, the handmaid's tale, looking at authoritarianism and totalitarianism uh,
8: mm-hmm.
2: from the lenses of black people. You know, Absolutely. one of the interesting parts of the Hulu production is that when you see the Civil War going on in in Chicago,
8: mm-hmm.
2: most of the people who are fighting for the United States are black.
8: Did mm-hmm. you notice that? Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did and too. Michelle. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So Michelle, yeah. um. Uh, I thank you for all of your hard work and I am really looking forward to the series beginning and folks it's if Fails dot live and it premieres on the TruthWorks Network YouTube channel live streaming with Doctor David ICard and Professor Jared Sexton on January 13th, which is this coming Thursday, at 8 p.m., and we hope that you will join us. Michelle, thank you so much, and um, we will talk next week at Our Common Ground about how it went and maybe run some of the clips from the... um, from the episode from the
8: episode premiere
2: one uh yeah, from the premiere uh which is um which is next Saturday at i mean next thursday at eight thirty p m
3: eight eight
2: pm and, oh god, what am I talking about? Um i I can't see it's anything.
3: time to go to bed <laughs>
2: no um the technical difficulties has me kinda off
8: um,
2: but uh the <clears throat> the first episode episode that's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah, January 13th, uh, 8 p.m. And it is, the episode one is American Democracy Under Siege, The Color of Autocracy with Dr. David Eichard and Professor Jared Yates Sexton. Yes. Thank you so much, um, Michelle, and we will see you at If America Fails. And, again, the address is ifamericafails.live, L-I-V-E, to get more information. Thank you so much for being with us here tonight at Our Common Ground, and we will be back because we're going to be back. See you on Thursday, 8 p.m. Works Network
8: YouTube. <laughs>
2: Thank you for joining us here at Our Common Ground in the launch of our 2022 season. We hope you'll join us each Saturday night, 10 p.m., as we struggle to keep this journey alive. Don't forget to join us at TruthWorks Network on this Thursday, the premiere of If America Fails, The Coming Tyranny. TruthWorks Network, YouTube channel for Truthworks. Look for our notices. Join us at ifamericafails.live, L-I-V-E. I'll see you next week and hope that you'll keep the spirit in both the light and the dark. I'll be listening for you. Awesome.